Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Gary Skolnick, founder and CEO of Neighborhood Sun, a company using community solar to fight climate change. Gary's an experienced entrepreneur, his previous company, he grew to $22 million in revenue. He's been in this clean energy space for quite some time, and in this episode, we go through how Neighborhood Sun came about, how he decided to start this company, some of the regulatory hurdles he's had to overcome to even make this come to fruition, the difficulties in getting the first 100 customers for Neighborhood Sun, how he's gone about the customer acquisition side of things as well in terms of keeping the cost so low. So we got those first 100 customers, but he continues to keep the cost low of customer acquisition. Why he decided to do equity crowdfunding through WeFunder and the fundraising process itself and how that's gone for him and where they look at expansion for Neighborhood Sun, expanding into different markets and really overall the solar industry and clean energy and where Gary sees this going. As always, these show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Gary Skolnick, founder and CEO of Neighborhood Sun. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. It's great to be on. Yes, I am excited to talk all things solar and with Neighborhood Sun, obviously, and thinking really about kind of sustainable energy as well. But with Neighborhood Sun, what are you doing with this for people who don't aren't familiar with the company? Sure. So we are a community solar company, and community solar is a brand new way for people to access solar power without having to install any panels on their roof. So eighty uh, percent of the market can't actually get rooftop solar, and with community solar, uh, you uh, sign up for a share of a project from uh, your local area. And every month as that project produces power, you get uh, credits directly put on your bill as if you had a system on your roof, but uh, it's all virtual. Um, so we are really excited to be part of this cutting edge space that um, is available in several states uh, and more every year. Yeah, what a great idea, especially for not having to deal with the solar panels themselves, which I know there's a number of solutions out there. You look at obviously Tesla trying to do their solar panels on the roofs, solar roofs overall, actually, uh, a number of different companies as well. But this seems like another great solution. And I know that you know, you have, you've made a lot of progress with, with this company as well along the way. But how did this get started in the first place, Gary? I've been a climate and, and clean energy activist for about 20 years, either as a an advocate uh, working um, for nonprofits or as an entrepreneur. I view my kind of entrepreneurial side as, as contributing in the same way as my uh, advocate side. Uh, and um, in about 2015, we uh, I worked with uh, an environmental group to pass this legislation in Maryland. Uh, to allow community solar. Uh, and for me, it's the best of both worlds in that it's uh, you're fighting climate change, but you're also supporting local power. Um, so we worked hard to get the legislation passed. And once we got it passed, I was like, hey, uh, this is time for my next adventure. 
Uh, so having, uh, started, uh, having run a startup before, this is my second one now. And I decided to start neighborhood sun in late 2016. Of course, the thing I didn't realize was that it would take about two years for the, uh, regulations to be fully developed. Uh, so we really got going in the, uh, uh, spring of 2018. I want to talk about that actually, because that's, that's a challenge for every business has challenges, but especially in this type of space then as well. Take me through like, what were some of the, the difficulties with regulation and like getting that past the process of that for other entrepreneurs out there who are facing maybe a similar type of situation? Yeah. And, and, you know, in the solar and energy space, the biggest, uh, bureaucratic or obstacle we face is, um, is from the utilities, unfortunately, um, so I've seen it happen so many times where we pass great legislation and everyone's all pumped and excited and we wrote postcards and we lobbied and we did all this and then it gets to the regulatory phase and uh, all the activists don't show up, but the utilities are there with teams of lawyers um, <laughs> and it's. It's daunting because the utility, the regulators rely on those lawyers from the utilities uh, to help them. And, and we just don't have a lot in place to counter that. Um, so I say that the, the biggest obstacle is the utilities try to make these programs as watered down as possible. Um, and uh, they didn't succeed here uh, in Maryland and in other states as well, because I think there's just such a, a dynamic um, in the solar space. You know, for years now, we've had uh, rooftop solar and it's been exploding and you've had residential rooftop and commercial rooftop. And then there was utility scale solar, but um, there, there hasn't really been solar that is available for people in the low and moderate income category. Yeah. And with community solar, it checks that box. It actually makes solar available for everybody. So there's a very strong political um, headwind that is helping us because people don't want to, you know, it, it's not, it's not just another solar thing. This is actually something that is helping uh, more on kind of the social justice side of things as well. So community solar has a lot of support from uh, quarters that maybe didn't support solar before. And so it's hard for the utilities to really gum up the works too much. Yeah. And with that as well, then understand you had a time period of, you said it was really like two years before you could really do a, a lot with it. What were you doing in those kind of first couple years where you still had to deal with this legislation and everything? What were some of the things you were working on with the business at that point? So uh, I was meeting with two people who became, one of them became my first employee uh, in a hotel lobby once a week, <laughs> uh, um, plotting out strategy. And I'd say what we spent the most time on was we went around the entire state of Maryland to anybody who would listen. Sometimes it would be one person, sometimes it'd be 35 or 50 uh, giving presentations on what is community solar and what um, people can expect. So we tried to build up some market knowledge because nobody knew anything about it at all. This is a brand new thing that, that um, like, you know, 10 people in the entire state had, had heard about. Uh, so we tried to lay the groundwork for um, uh, projects when they came so we would have – 
a ready-made audience uh, and um, spent a lot of time just speaking to people. And, and for a while there, it was great. But then after a while, it became like, okay, when is this actually happening? Because you guys have been <laughs> talking about it for months. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it got a little hairy there. But thankfully, um, it did eventually come to pass. Yeah, it's like you're, you're spending your time seeding demand and understanding that it's just a matter of time, you know, that type of you know, uh, thing as well, which, which is interesting, uh, interesting way to go about it because that's all you, that's really the main thing you could do at the time was really kind of seed demand and get people to understand what this was. And then looking at just even your WeFunder page, we can get into that in, in a second as well. But in 2019, said that you fully, had fully subscribed four major community solar projects with more than 2,000 households. Take me through the, the first few, like when, once you had the first project, the first project itself and getting the first customers on board for that. Take me through that. How'd that go? Yeah. So the, the, this was a, a fun entrepreneurial story, uh, which teaches you that it's not for the, uh, the week, weekend <laughs> at heart, um, I'd say. So we just spent all this time prepping and we had a list of thousands of people who seemed to be ready and we finally had a project ready. And um, I'll never forget, I had gone away on vacation with my family uh, right, right after we launched. Uh, it, was a, I had, it was a vacation that was planned well in advance, had to go on it. Um, and I was expecting that when I came back, we would have like 500 people signed up right off the bat because we had thousands of people on our list. Yeah. And I got back and we had like five people signed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And, and yeah, that was a time where like I really wanted to just curl up in a fetal position and uh and say, Man, I completely blew it. Uh and we had to take a hard look at our at what happened. Um we had all these people ready and they didn't want to sign up. And we realized that that it was one thing for people to say yes in theory and concept, I like this, but then quite another for them to actually go onto the website. Uh, one of the things about community solar is that you have to provide a second form of payment because um, we can't put our charges on the utility bill. So people have to give us you know, their credit card or bank information uh, and sign a contract. And then, you know, before they sign the contract, they're like, wait a second, what am I actually signing up for? And, uh, so those first three months, it was literally begging friends and family. <laughs> and, uh, and thankfully we had an amazing partner with, uh, uh, the Chesapeake climate action network, which is the, the best grassroots, uh, climate group in the country. And, they were phone banking people and and we put out videos where we had to say we 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 said in the videos we get that this looks fishy <laughs> i wouldn't use that exact language but it was like you know we get that this looks kind of funny because it's it's a guaranteed savings no money up front you know everything it sounds too good to be true please just trust us on this one and sign up and and we Thankfully, because, you know, I've got deep roots in Maryland. I've been doing this work for 20 years. Uh, we were able to get people to sign up. And once we got those first 100 customers, then it got uh, a lot easier. But those first 100 were the hardest customers I've ever had to get in my life. 
I love that story hearing that because it, it can be so challenging when you're starting a business, especially acquiring those first few customers. And I've heard you know, a number of stories where people are one, one that always sends out, I always mention them, but Cole Zucker was selling light bulbs door to door basically in San Francisco to get mm-hmm. his business off the ground. And he, that business he grew into like a 50 or $60 million company. It's just like, it starts in a different way than you ever imagine it's going to, but it's just mm-hmm. pure hustle and just kind of finding a way to make it work. And understanding that you got your first kind of hundred or so people on board. I mean, even with, with like one of these community solar products, for instance, I mean, how many people can even be like plugged in per se? Well, it depends on the size of the project. So our largest one um, has 1,100 customers on it. And um, our smallest one has about 150. Uh, I'd say on average, it's about five to 750 customers. And with that as well, I know you're in the Maryland area. So how are you looking at the different areas in terms of which ones you want to have projects in? Obviously, there's, there's many you could probably choose from, but I'm curious as to how you're kind of looking at that as well, Gary. Well, from Neighborhood Sun's perspective, we're looking to grow uh, uh, within our region first before we start going more national. So uh, we're looking, we've just started a project in New Jersey. Uh, we're looking at basically the East Coast, everywhere from Maine down to Virginia is open for community solar. So that's our initial uh, expansion plan. Uh, And then we want to get out to the Midwest and and West Coast uh, as soon as we can. And and one thing too, I saw on, uh, I think it's the WeFunder as well, just the the cost to acquire customers, you said was like half of your industry, half of the industry average. How have you been able to go about that and keep the customer acquisition costs low with this as well, Gary? Uh, Well, I'm a huge believer in brand. So it starts with uh, putting a lot of effort into building a a credible brand. And you can see from my example on the first 100 customers how important it is to have that trust because we're selling a product that is essentially invisible. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, uh, and it's new, and, and it sounds too good to be true. So it, the first thing is you've got to have a brand that that it really walks the walk. So we are we are a B corporation with the highest score of a B corp among any community solar companies. Uh, very transparent, very customer centric, um, and um, and very credible. And then from that, uh, we're able to work with partners and our existing customers through referrals. So in the partner space, we work with uh, NGOs, uh, a lot of environmental climate groups, uh, faith organizations, and civic groups, some, some of whom would not ordinarily work with a for-profit business. But because of the kind of company we are, they are willing to work with us. Uh, and then in referrals, we get a, a, about a quarter of our business comes from our customers providing referrals. And that happens um, because we really engage our customers and uh, try to turn them into the kind of, you know, the brand champions that are out there. Um, and they believe in our mission and they believe in what we're trying to do. With that as well, then, is there a referral program as well? Are you baked into that? Or how are you kind of seeing that demand in terms of, you know, encouraging referrals within within customers? Uh, yeah, we uh, we have referral programs where we pr- we provide some small financial incentives. You know, you get a credit on your uh, additional credits on your first bill if you uh, if you provide referrals. Um, so we do use a referral program. Uh, we're trying to build one actually in-house now as well. Um, so that we have a little better control over how it works. Uh, but 
the financial incentive is definitely important for our, our customers, but I think it's also just that that you know a lot of the customers who are signing up for us believe in what we're trying to do in terms of fighting climate change and uh, bringing more power to local communities. So they want to kind of brag about it to their friends and listservs that they're part of. Yeah. And that's, to me, my favorite thing when a customer is just like, hey, we're having a community meeting uh, you know, next Thursday night. Can you come and speak? And that's, that's the best uh, kind of intro we get. Yeah, that's a great way to grow. And I, I think that's something that a lot of companies can kind of in, in, implement as well, with having some type of way of incentivizing referrals, but especially for people who just love what you're doing as well. And I'm part of a number of different kind of affiliate or like referral type of programs with companies that I love what they're doing. I mean, WeFunder is an actually an example of that mm-hmm. um, in terms of I love the way they're supporting entrepreneurs and I'm happy to kind of, you know, promote them and share them as well with companies that I align with. And um, to that point as well, like with WeFunder, I know you have a WeFunder campaign, obviously. How did you decide to do equity crowdfunding in the first place, Gary? Oh, well, I am so excited to be doing equity crowdfunding. I can't even tell you because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said, this is my second startup. And, you know, for the entrepreneur, you go through the, the cycle of trying to uh, raise money through VCs. And um, it's just, I, I, you know, certainly there could be a good fit out there for us, but I much prefer um, what I call the people-powered business model. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, for us, we started with uh, angel investors, and we had about 26 angels uh, who uh, were part of our initial seed round and our post-seed round. Uh, then we advanced to a what we call a Series AA, not quite a Series A yet, uh, where we got a couple institutional investors, um, the uh Chesapeake Seed Venture Fund out of the University of Maryland and a group called Golf Power. Um, and then I had been pushing my board all along that I wanted to do, to do a crowdfunding campaign because it just fits with our model. We are yeah. trying to democratize energy, trying to bring power to local communities. And here you have a chance to have individuals owning a PC or company. Um, so it fit everything. Uh, but I got to say, you know, the attorneys that we work with for our Series AA um, and, you know, other, uh, I guess, investor types were very, were somewhat discouraging. Um, you know, the usual reasons people say not to do these kind of campaigns. But um, I pushed along and I said, well, it, it can at least get us maybe $100,000. You know, it's a nice little additional fundraise. So, uh, we got approval from the board and then we were looking at the various platforms that do it. And WeFunder was just the one that, that, uh, made the most sense for us. First of all, they're also, uh, a benefit core. Uh, they support, uh, the kind of businesses that, that, you know, the kind of business that we are. And, um, and I really liked, uh, uh, what they were all about. So we, we went on WeFunder, and to my shock and surprise, um, we are closing in rapidly on 500000 raised, uh, well above the 100000 that I thought <laughs> would be like an amazing home run. With, with that as well, Gary, I mean, what have you done to 
promote that campaign or how has that gone for you in terms of the process itself of, of raising through WeFunder? Well, we started with, uh, uh, I went back to friends and family. So people who couldn't be part of a, a, a formal, like a series AA round, because they're not necessarily accredited investors, right? Um, could participate in, in WeFunder because uh, it's open to everybody. Um, and so through our friends and family and some uh, customers, we were able to hit the first $50,000 milestone, which is a really key thing for, for crowdfunding. Once we did that, then the, the, um, the uh, campaign went live and, and uh, we hit our existing customer list by email and also by direct mail piece. Um, and we got an amazing response from our existing customers, which was also heartwarming, you know, not just to get the, the, the money, which is obviously very important, but to get the, the voice of support that like they believe in us. Um, once we got that kind of groundswell going, uh, uh, the national campaign that we funder does uh, started kicking in a little bit. Um, and then we uh, brought on a, um, a marketing company that specializes in, in crowdfunding campaigns and they helped us to do targeted Facebook ads. And, um, that, that's really the main things we've done. Um, you know, from there it just kept snowballing and we had some, some people give as much as 20, 25,000 and some people give, uh, gave, you know, I shouldn't say give, invested, I'm sorry, invested 20 to 25,000 and some invested as little as a hundred dollars. So it, it fits every kind of budget, uh, small to large. Yeah. And that is one of the interesting things about crowdfunding now. I mean, you can invest typically as minimum of like a hundred dollars into, into companies and you're owning a piece of that company. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that people have gone about that in terms of what the the actual terms are of the investment, and most of them are equity. Uh, a small percentage are, you know, rev shares, or other things like that. But it does allow you to, yeah, invest in companies that you see as being, whether it be impactful, whether it be that you think they're going to just crush it in the years to come, or you want to support them, and you can own a piece of that company, which is such a cool thing that you know crowdfunding has allowed now, especially with equity crowdfunding and platforms like WeFunder, has allowed the everyday person to invest in these companies, which I think is just fascinating and so cool that it's that it exists um, even yeah. out there today. And, and, it, and, it, and it gives the it gives the entrepreneur more freedom. You know, so yeah. if you really believe in in the company and you believe in the management team, um, these kinds of campaigns give give the entrepreneur more freedom to maneuver than if they had gone to a VC or or some of these other groups. Um, so uh, it's it it it's really putting your money behind the the product in a very strong way. Yeah, and also when you look at you know raising from almost six hundred investors through through WeFinder, but it'll all be rolled up as one investor in the cap table. But you have these six hundred people then that also can refer people and can also mm -hmm. you know promote promote the the business. And I think for a lot of these direct or consumer companies or a company like you know like yours with Neighborhood Sun, like that seems like such a huge value add to have more and more people on. And it's also why you look at some of these other startups out there that take on a bunch of angel investors, it's for that reason as well. If they can all add value in some capacity and help kind of promote and push things, then it's really worthwhile to have more investors on board. It just depends on the company. Of absolutely. Course. Yeah, absolutely. 
what were the what were the most difficult parts though of the equity crowdfunding? Because I know there's a lot of different like aspects of it and things you have to do. But were any any challenges in particular of kind of just going live and getting it out there? Uh, well, I guess the biggest challenge is is filling out the uh, the form C. It's called, which is a, a, a requirement for the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, so we did hire a lawyer to help us, um, and um, um, you can try to do it on your own, but it's um, I don't know. I want to make sure it was done one hundred percent correct. Uh, so, <laughs> but it, it's it's pretty in depth, and for for companies, and especially for entrepreneurs who are really very early stage and don't have a lot of experience in doing. Uh, Feel like re- responding to due diligence requests and things like that, it could be uh, pretty daunting. Yeah, I I started the uh, crowdfunding campaign with WeFunder for Disco Grind, and it is a lot of it's a lot, a lot to go through. But um, obviously, they can help you along the way, and there's the ways to go about it. And there's just so many benefits with with doing it, and so for the right company, it definitely makes sense. And one of the things I want to go back to, even with this with this company, so with Neighborhood Sun. Take me through the team, the team behind this, and who you've brought on board to, you know, just just help you grow this company. Yeah, so we are a team of about twelve right now. Uh, so still, you know, early, uh, still small company. Um, I have through the fundraising we've done this year, I've been able to bring on some senior management. So we've got, um, uh, we brought on a director of sales uh, who has a couple of decades experience in running uh, direct sales campaigns uh, in the energy space. Uh, We brought on a CTO who uh, built out our software platform. So we have a a software platform that connects the project owner to the thousands of customers. Um, And uh, we call it the Sun Engine. Um, And our CTO built that out. And um, he also has a couple decades experience in the energy and IT space. So between the three of us, we have a lot of energy experience, uh, specifically in clean energy um, and um, in IT sales and marketing. And the rest of the team, we've got uh, just really great, passionate people. Um, I, I kind of, I guess, if you look at the various the buckets on the org chart, we have people in the customer engagement side, um, which uh, to me. Uh, one of the things about green companies or sustainably oriented brands is that sometimes they forget that customer service is essential. Uh, And so we want to prioritize customer service. We call it customer engagement. Um, And so we built out a team there. We also have uh, some people on the marketing side, um, and then on the sales side, we have people in the working on the partnerships. Uh, so um, I talked about the nonprofits, the NGOs that we partner with. We have people focused on that. Uh, and as we went into New Jersey, we hired a, a New Jersey program director because I felt it was important to have somebody on the ground in the state uh, as we kind of get going. For you too, then, I mean, just looking at that team in place and you're raising through WeFunder and have almost a half a million dollars with that as well. I mean, what's kind of the next steps in terms of what you're, where you're looking to grow with Neighborhood Sun next? Well, we'd love to get into more states on the East Coast. Uh, New York is the biggest community solar market in the country. 
uh, and Massachusetts. It's also a very hot market. Uh, and uh, we want to um, expand our presence and, um, and, and more quickly scale up. Uh, I guess that's also one of the things that entrepreneurs have to think about, right? Is like, how quickly do you want to scale up? Do you yeah. want to try the organic growth? And that may be good, but then um, the market moves so quickly. We don't want to be in a place where, uh, where we're kind of shut out from opportunities because we didn't grow enough. Um, so uh, we want to use the funds to help us scale up more quickly because this uh, community solar market right now is like the wild west. There's a lot of players. <laughs> there's, there's no dominant player out there. And um, we, our theory is that there's going to be consolidation coming in the next few years. So we want to be in a position where when that consolidation happens, we are, um, you know, viewed as perhaps a potential merger or target, or we are the ones doing some of the acquiring. Yeah. And with that too, with that growth and understanding there's, you know, a number of different competitors as well within that. I mean, you mentioned brand earlier. How do you think of brand, growing the brand, establishing a brand? Uh, I would love to hear more about that side of things, especially in such a competitive market. Um, yeah, I, to me, brand. the thing about brand is it, it's, it's not necessarily something that money can buy. So when you are in a market, um, where you are, you see some large competitors out there, or you fear that there could be potential large competitors. Brand is one of those things that that you can build that is very hard to replicate. Yeah, uh, and I've seen that from my previous startup, which was also a green brand. You know, there there are companies out there can say that they're green energy companies, but. Um, they just don't have the the brand equity that um, my previous company had or Neighborhood Sun currently has. So the way I view view it is, I start by by. I mean, first of all, I guess the one thing to know is I I've drunk the Kool Aid, right? I mean, I had <laughs> a. It really helps that I've been freaked out about climate change since the year two thousand. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, not a Johnny come lately or like, Hey, this is a great fad that I want to get on. I've been, um, I've been as a, as a, as a person, as a member of my community, uh, I've been uh, involved in this for so long that that translates to the credibility of the company that I founded. So it's right away. It's like looking at the integrity of, of, of me as a, as the CEO and founder, um, and how that translates to the way our company operates. And um, um, from there, then the other things I talked about were uh, our values of uh, customer engagement. Uh, we have, for example, example, a customer advisory board uh, so that customers can provide us with direct feedback. Um, and by doing that, we, um, we build that, that brand value out into our customer base. And we also learn from our customers what what matters for the kind of brand that we are. The, the, being the B Corps that we are, uh, which we started from day one, is also just a huge part of, of uh, our brand. I'm not sure I answered the question exactly how you, exactly, but I don't know, those are just some of my thoughts on, on how I view our brand. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good perspective because I think for people who are trying to stand out, a lot of times brand, it, it's kind of a mythical thing of how do you build it. But I like hearing the approach you, you have to it because it can help you stand out, keep your customer acquisition costs lower, and especially in a crowded space, uh, make it so you can survive <laughs> because otherwise it's like a matter of, yeah, it's wow, wow, West in many ways of just growing as fast as you can. But also do people trust you when you're there? Like why are they yeah. you know, sticking with you as well? And that's, that's kind of fascinating to me. And how people kind of think about the brand with their companies uh, in these different spaces. And on the growth side as well, I mean, a new, a new project, like, yeah, I know it's going to, it's going to vary obviously, but um, in terms of looking at smaller projects, larger projects, like how do you even think about new projects and, and expanding that growth in terms of where, what you're going to do with this? Well, I know we talked a little bit about it earlier, but I would love to hear more about how you look at expansion. Uh, well, so in order for us to expand, uh, we have to convince the project owners, uh, so the solar developers, the guys who build the projects and finance the projects, uh, to go with us. And um, uh, the the thing in the, the solar space is that you have, um, like I said, you've got it's a lot of different players, but yeah. you also have these these solar developers now who um, have portfolios of projects in multiple states. Um, so we've developed great relationships with the developers in Maryland and now New Jersey. Um, and we have to basically convince them to give us their projects that they also have in other states like Massachusetts, New York, etc. cetera. Um, the, the uh, building our Sun Engine, our software platform, was a step to uh, to doing so to to be able to get more projects because uh, we built it in a way based on um, the experience we've had in the market and um, in a way that would uh, scale quickly. Uh, a lot of the software platforms in the community solar space uh, really are not built for scale, yeah, um, but ours is so. So we want project owners to be able to plug in their projects from Massachusetts to New York to Maryland, et cetera. Um, and we feel like we've built a software platform that enables us to do so. Uh, we prefer to work on projects that have uh, a, a piece reserved for low and moderate income people. Um, those are our favorite kinds of projects. We also, in the uh, solar space, there's, there's some um, debate about greenfield projects. Um, so our preference is always for projects that are on a brownfield or on a rooftop uh, versus a project that is uh, taking agricultural land, though we don't have a, uh, a hard rule against that. It's just a preference. One of the things too, with, with looking at this company and looking at what's, what's next overall, like where do you see just kind of stepping back into like a broadly like high level view of where kind of solar power, solar energy, this kind of industry is going, the evolution of it kind of the next number of years, how do you see it evolving, Gary? Ah, great question, Justin. Um, <laughs> the, you know, it's interesting. So the solar, the price of solar has come down dramatically but it's at the point where the hard costs in other words the the actual panels and the wiring and the installation can't really go much lower i mean it's it's gotten commoditized to such a point that it's it's um near its bottom um 
So the growth is really in uh, in things like community solar, where you're you're you know allow giving access to solar to to a lot much larger share of the market. But in the other parts of the solar space, it's going to be in in ways that they can um, reach more people and more rapidly get projects out there uh, to basically bring down all the soft costs. Uh, so there are people working on kind of the tech side of being able to quickly evaluate roofs without having to actually send an engineer out there. And um, there are people looking at, at ways to uh, standardize um, system installations um, that'll make it easier to uh, scale up. Um, and then the other piece is combining solar with storage. I mean, that's the big holy grail, so to speak, uh, because when you combine solar with storage and you take away the issue of the fact that the sun's not shining all the time, right? Yeah. So um, there, you know, there's a lot of excitement on that at uh, the residential level uh, for like home backup. So you would have a, 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 and Tesla has the power wall, but I think that's, that's really just like the early stage. I think there's going to be a lot better product out there. Um, which also not only serves to provide you uh, backup and storage, but it also is great if you have a power outage. Um, and then you've got the large-scale um, storage happening at the actual project site and also um, at commercial property. So if you have a large office building or something, I think you're going to see a lot more um, of these large batteries uh, uh, distributed to, to those buildings. Besides, I mean, obviously you're focused uh, on, on solar energy, but in terms of clean energy overall, are there any other sources or things you're seeing or things you're thinking about just, just happen to be, be in this space as well, like that you think is an intriguing at least? Uh, you know, I, I used to, uh, I used to do a lot in wind power. Um, and I, but I, I, I mean, offshore wind has an incredible potential, and and it's not exactly a new technology or anything. But <laughs> believe it or not, um, it, it's been over a decade in the making to to get some of these large offshore wind projects going um, off the East Coast, at least in the United States. Uh, so when they finally get deployed, um, that's going to be a game changer. Um, otherwise, uh, it's that's the thing, Justin. It's not like there's some magic new technology out there that's <laughs> going to change everything. Yeah. We already have the technology we need to convert a large amount of our electricity to clean energy. And the most exciting thing will be as we convert our vehicles from gas to electric, then all we have to do is green up our electric grid, which is entirely feasible with our current technology and we'll have uh, really dramatically reduced our greenhouse gas emissions. One of the things with that, and I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but with that, understand that we have the technology now to do much of this and a lot of its technicalities. And you mentioned the utilities being essentially fighting, fighting this. How do you see that playing out? I mean, just a matter of time before it's like, okay, it just makes way more sense for this to be clean energy. Or like, I'm just curious on your perspective of how do you see that playing out with the whole legislation, regulation, things that go with this as well? Well, I do think um, 
we made a lot of progress in individual states, and the United States um, energy market is not one market. It's actually 51 if you include uh, the District of Columbia and uh, I guess 52 if you include Puerto Rico. Yeah. Every state and, and territory or district has its own energy policy, which is a little crazy in some ways. Um, so some states like California um, and many states on the East Coast have done an incredible job on putting the policies in place that have just led to an explosion of clean energy and uh, electric vehicles. But I do think at the end of the day, we're going to need national legislation, whether that's a carbon tax or a cap and trade or a cap and dividend, um, some kind of policy that just sends a very clear signal to the market that they that the, the big players have to uh, turn away from fossil fuels and, and invest more in clean energy. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves in the coming years. And uh, obviously, there's been progress made. But uh, if you're an incumbent, clearly you have <laughs> reasons to, to be to, to stay that way and not having to yeah. progress. So it's obviously the, the fight within that. But uh, change is inevitable. That's how I view it, at least. Um, yeah, it, it takes work, but uh, it's a matter of time, really, before these things that just make way more sense um, become kind of the norm, the standard. And obviously, it takes a lot of work to get to that point, though. But one of the last things I'm wondering about is just understand that this is your your second kind of startup as well. What have you taken from your first startup in terms of lessons or anything at all that have been helpful along the way for now with Neighborhood Sun? Well, I learned a lot of lessons. Uh, my first startup uh, had some successes. We built a solar division that we sold to Solar City, uh, but then we had some uh, failures. I mean, we went out of business because. Um, we uh, were hit by this uh, polar vortex in the winter of 2014 in the mid-Atlantic area that sent the wholesale energy market crazy yeah. through the roof, and we were not well enough capitalized. Um, so one of the lessons, there's a lot more to that story, uh, <laughs> including, I guess, one of them is that we had a lead investor uh, who happened to be my partner's uncle who um, uh when the wholesale energy market went through the roof, he had a chance to save the company and um, to keep us afloat. Uh, but he chose not to because he got some very bad advice. The The energy experts were telling him that, that the market was going to calm down and, and things would get back to normal. And he just kind of panicked. But what what I learned from that is is not so much about the uncle. It's about having your entire business in the hands of one investor, you know, yeah, because he, yeah. he was in the prime position and we had a, a second, uh, an investor who was um, the way we had set it up. He was, uh, he was also, he was a debt holder and an investor. So anything we wanted to do had to get his approval. And we had other investors who had real energy expertise and were telling him to do other things. And he just said, no. Um, so lesson number one is don't put all your eggs in one basket, have, have a variety of investors and don't have any single investor um, who can make or break your company based on 
a whim. Another lesson was to have investors who understand your space, uh, if they are going to be larger investors. Um, a third one was growing organically uh, has its positives, but um, it's it has to be the right kind of business. And so with Neighborhood Sun, we also are not going to just grow organically because um, we have to have the resources to deal with anything that happens, whether it's competition or, you know, some market upheaval. Um, and then finally, Neighborhood Sun did not take the financial risks that uh, my former company, Queen Currents, did. So we didn't start out as, as a uh, retail electric supplier, which really is a business that requires very deep pockets. Uh, so with Neighborhood yeah, Sun, we are we focused on community solar, um, and uh, it doesn't require the kind of financial risks that that a retail electric provider would would have required. Yeah, it's so fascinating to hear from founders who have already had another startup and how they change things the second time around because mm -hmm. there's so much there's so much you learn from being in it you know obviously you can listen to podcasts you can read books but there is also something to taking action figuring out oh okay that lesson really hits at home a lot more when i've gone through it myself um, yes. and then you, then you learn things from that and i've like started a number of different companies myself so it's like you learn from those things being like okay what do i really want to create what kind of issues and things will i not have to deal with a second time obviously there's gonna be new ones uh from your first company so it's like taking action is such an important part of it and and one of the things i always like to ask about gary is just any uh, any books whether it be personal or professional that have been impactful for you in your life uh, well, professionally, I would say, uh, eating the big fish, um, is a, is like my marketing Bible. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's a book about being a challenger brand. Uh, so understanding that you don't need a company that has the most resources, um, to, to necessarily win and you don't even necessarily have to be the, the largest company in your space. Uh, but just how to position your company in, in, as a challenger, not just to the incumbents, but also to the system at large um, and how to be the kind of company that actually stands for something uh, that, you know, you've kind of set your flag and say, here's our values. If you like those, come join us. And that, that's what that book is all about. Um on a personal side, I love uh, um, Man's Search for Meaning, oh, yeah. uh, which, um, you know, the first head, it's, it's written, um, uh, the, the guy who wrote it is a, is a Holocaust survivor, and um, he talks about, uh, he's a psychologist, he talks about the first part is just surviving in the camps, but then from there he goes into uh, just finding the meaning of life of of the small things, you know, not everything is like some big earth shattering universal truth, but it's just living a life where you, uh, where you have human connection and, and, um, do the basic things well is enough for to be a good life, uh, compared. And, you know, he talked about how like the people in the camps, the ones who survived the best were the ones who were able to find meaning and just, very small things like getting a little piece of bread or or a little gesture of kindness from one person to another and i think that really builds us up uh, builds us up quite a bit 
Yeah, that book by Victor Franco. I mean, yeah, it's it, Man's Search for Meaning is great. I read it a number of years ago, and it's it's just really impactful. And I think all people should read it honestly because there's, yeah, putting meaning on a lot of different things and just understand how to live better um, is yeah. important. And I think that the first book you mentioned as well, uh, I have never been recommended on this podcast, so I'm curious to oh, okay. learn more about it because um, there are so many gems out there. And and one of the last questions I have here, Gary, is just that: How do you recharge away from work? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, not enough. I have to admit, <laughs> uh, I, I tend to uh, yeah work quite a bit. But uh, my family and I observe um, uh, a Sabbath, so we we uh, on Saturday um, no phones, no TV, um, just really family time, and uh, sometimes going you know out in nature. Um, I, I find that. Um, the Japanese concept of the forest bath uh, means a lot to me. So um, just getting out into the woods or um, on the river or uh, um, in the ocean. Uh, and then um, when COVID isn't around, we I also recharge quite a bit by going to art museums. I'm very inspired by the kind of work that I see. And fortunately, my wife is uh, is – She's not an art historian, but she knows quite a bit about art. So it's always very interesting to hear the backgrounds of the stories. And, and I often come out very inspired and energized. Yeah, absolutely. And and Gary, where can people go to learn more about Neighborhood Sun and connect with you as well? Uh, they can go to neighborhoodsun.solar. So it's a, it's a dot .solar domain. So neighborhoodsun.solar. You could also check us out on WeFunder.com. Um, we have our campaign is going through the end of the year. Um, and, uh, anybody can email me at Gary at neighborhoodsun.solar. Perfect. And for people who are curious about the WeFunder, it's wefunder.com slash neighborhood.sun. Uh, and I will be sure to link that all up in the show notes as well. Just go grind.com slash podcast. You can find those easily, but Gary, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. Hey, thank you, Justin. This was great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.